How y'all doing? Good. I know it's a little chilly. Hug a neighbor. Um, but glad that you're here. Um, and uh, we're wrapping up our emotion picture series. I hope that this has been, I've heard from a few of you that this has been helpful, enlightening, uh, encouraging uh, along the way, just kind of looking at different emotions and how the fact that we're wired with emotions. Remember we started with Psalm 139 and said this is a psalm that really declares that God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, actually knows you. He's your creator too and he knows everything about you. He's wired you in a way and, and he knows and then he's created you with emotions. And whether you're stoic and maybe hidden a little bit with those or you wear them on your sleeve, uh, the reality is emotions uh, play a really big deal in life and they're a big part of our life and how we interpret uh, the world around us and how we engage in the world around us and it's necessary for us to engage in our emotions in a healthy uh, and spiritual way, in a biblical way. And so we looked at this idea of saying, look, uh, if we want to grow spiritually mature, and we talked about um, what Peter Scazzaro wrote in his book, the... um, emotional healthy spirituality where you said you cannot grow to be spiritually mature if you remain emotionally immature and so there's this process that we have to go through and it's not that they're the same thing but they kind of become each other's ceilings in a way and and hinder your growth spiritually or emotionally uh, with this idea of you don't work on this and get to a healthy spot. And that's what we wanted for you and for us as followers of Jesus, that we'd be healthy in that and that we would kind of help understand that emotions play a major factor in our life. And so we looked at this idea of joy. What does it mean to have biblical, godly joy as a part of your life? What do you do with fear? And how do you not live a life that's kind of ruined by fear when you let fear kind of run your life? And how do you, how do you bring that to, uh, to Jesus and let him help you carry that fear? We looked at this anger. Anyone ever struggle with anger? And you're like, okay, how do I deal with anger? And how does the Bible kind of talk about this idea? And how do we uh, live this out? And so tonight we're going to end with um, the, the word love, kind of the emotion of love. And um, it's not a character in the movie that we've been kind of looking at, the Inside Out movie. But in a few seconds, I'm going to show you a scene from that movie that I think encapsulates uh, love in a way that the Bible, when it speaks about love, says this is kind of what it begins to look like. Because in our world, um, we have the word love. Anyone ever heard the word love before? Okay, good. We're all on the same playing field, okay? So let me just ask you a question. How many of you love, like, desserts? You would say, like, you know, let's be honest. Melody runs marathons so she can eat desserts. And so it's just, it's awesome. I do that. I just don't run the marathons. But um, how many of you love, like, your phone, like, technology? You just, you love the technology that you have. You can't believe you live in this world. Uh, Some of you are, like, you'd love to escape from technology, and you'd love to live off the grid uh, for some of you. And uh, if there's ever a zombie apocalypse, I want to hang out with you. So um, if... There's not going to be, but enjoy the shows. Uh, This idea, how many of you love, um, like, your spouse? Okay, hint. um, Yeah. Or you love your boyfriend or girlfriend. Okay. Yeah, this would be where you would raise your hand. Okay. (laughs) You don't want to have, like, how come your hand didn't go up? Uh, You don't don't want that Uh, right now. How many of you would love your kids? Okay. Uh, How many of you love your pets? Okay. Um, uh, Mark, glad you got your pet back. That's awesome. Uh, let's see. How many of you, um, let's see, uh, you love, uh, like, I, how many of you love kale? I know there's like two or three of you in here, and look, Jesus loves you. That's awesome. Um, how many of you love steak? Um, okay, so like that. Okay, that's good. Um, anyone, uh, you, you love vacations? 
okay? All right? So uh, you're getting the hint of this. You love a lot of things, right? Here, here's the truth. Um, there should be a difference between, like, your love for Sonoran hot dogs and your spouse, okay? Can we just all agree that there should be a level of difference, okay? Listen, you can love your spouse a lot, but Sonoran hot dogs, <laughs> Um, like, you should love your spouse more than Sonoran hot dogs, right? Like, we're all in agreement with that. Here's the problem with the English language. How many words do we have for love? We have one, love, okay? We have like, but that really doesn't get at the, the grasp and the depth of what love is really trying to express. And so we struggle to kind of get our minds around Love. So the, the question of what is love is an important question to kind of begin to wrestle with. You think about how many songs have been written, love songs that have been written. And if we were to list them all, if you would talk to your neighbors and just, I bet you can come up with a list of at least 10 right now. And it would have different definitions in a way if you were to dissect the song about what love is like or what love does or what love feels like. Some people describe love, well, you just know it when you feel it. Well, but what if, what if love is more than a feeling? More than a feeling. Okay. Um, <clears throat> what if love is more than a feeling, right? What if it encapsulates more than that? And in this movie, Inside Out, we've been looking at different characters uh, in there with a clip. And, and tonight, I want you to see a clip that as Riley, she's the main character in this, and she's been dealing with these emotions that hang out in headquarters in her life, and it's di- kind of dissecting how emotions play. And tonight, uh, this clip is this idea of where she kind of, her and uh, Riley's imaginary friend, Bing Bong, which is just a cool name. Um, name your next dog that. Uh, so Bing Bong is, they've been cast into kind of long-term memory dump and they're trying to get out and get back to headquarters and they keep kind of coming up short and they're they're about ready to have their memory wiped out and and joy's going to be gone and bing bong's going to be gone and they're struggling to get there and they got to get back to riley to headquarters and there's this tension that's playing out and then we kind of see something unfold so let's watch this together now, in this moment, you're probably like, well, I thought we talked about sadness. Why are you making me sad again? Because um, we said there's power in sadness sometimes. And the significance of what you see just in this little clip is this idea of what love does. And it's way more than just a feeling. Uh, some kids were asked about what does love mean? Here's some responses. Uh, Rebecca, age eight, said, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore, so my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Bobby, age seven, says this, love is what's in the room at Christmas when you stop opening presents and just listen. Cindy, age eight, uh, during my piano recital, I was on stage and I was really scared. I looked at all the people who were watching me and I saw my daddy in the back waving and smiling. He was the only one doing that and I wasn't scared anymore. Uh, Billy, age four, said this, I think my favorite. Uh, When someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth some good descriptions of love. See, love has a way of putting others' needs above your own. It has an action to it. 
Uh, Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, your love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. See, in our culture, I think we have a difficult time uh, because we love things and we love opportunities and we love accomplishments and we love achievements and, and we love people but a lot of time the, the bent is even we love what they do for us and we love the benefit that we get or we, we love the opportunity it provides and, and so sometimes in our world because we only have one word for love it, it's easy to get things twisted it's easy to get things sideways but you think about from a biblical perspective the great commandment you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart soul strength and mind the second greatest commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Or the new commandment that Jesus gave, uh, all men will know that you're my disciples, you're my followers by the way you love one another. See, spiritual maturity may be measured best, not by how much you know, but by how well you love. That the challenge throughout the scriptures over and over is a challenge for us to grow in our love. When you read through the New Testament with any kind of degree of care, you can't help but find that all over. We're called to be people of love. Paul told the Roman church that we must not owe anyone anything. We must not owe anything except the debt of love. He told the Galatians that the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of God's working in your life is first and foremost love. That's the first fruit of the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul begins to say, okay, in chapter 12, he's laying out all these spiritual gifts, and he says, I want you to to ask God for these gifts, admire these gifts, and admonish one another in these, and and pray for these. These gifts are important because they build up the church, and they're God's activity and mission in the world, and then he says, I'm gonna show you the most excellent way is the transition to 1 Corinthians 13. Because basically what he's saying is, look, if you have all these gifts, but you don't have love, then you've missed everything. And it's of no good to you or to the people around you. And then if you think he's just glossing over that, he actually starts chapter 14 with to telling us to, to live in this way of love. So this question of what is love is a challenging question, and it's one that's good for us to wrestle with. And I want us to look at that tonight from a biblical perspective, kind of draw a couple simple conclusions to it, and and we're gonna take communion. Uh, There's a a person tonight, maybe a couple, that are gonna express their love back to Jesus and baptism. We're gonna celebrate them. And uh, as we look at this idea of love, you have to understand, uh, from from the Greeks, they actually had a plethora of words uh, for the word love. Uh, Phileo was one of them. It's probably the most generic, most popular garden variety version of the word love, phileo. This idea that this is the kind of love that you would have for your friends and for your family, for your country. Uh, You see that word kind of combined with others and like you think of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? That's kind of combined in this idea and that this love is the way it was supposed to play out. There's another word that they used. It was eros, 
And eros was kind of, when it gets translated in English, it's mostly like erotic love or sexual love. And it's this idea, but the Greeks actually had a broader understanding of that word eros. So they began to understand that it was really about a moving moment that you experience. It's something that you feel in a sense in an experience. It's maybe uh, if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon and you're standing at the edge maybe for the very first time and you realize how big the Grand Canyon is and how beautiful the colors are and everything about it and, and you're kind of, it almost takes your breath away a little bit for the very first time you're there. If you've been there like six or seven times, it's probably old now to you, but remember the first time and there was something moving about that moment. If you're a football fan, it's maybe uh, this idea of, okay, it's the last few seconds of the fourth quarter, and your team's down by five points, and they've got the ball, and they're moving, and all of a sudden they throw this, we call it a Hail Mary, right, this pass to the end zone, and your team catches it, and catches it in the end zone, and suddenly time expires, and your team wins the game, and inside there's like this rush of emotion for you, and all throughout the stadium there's this uproar, that's eros. In a way, that's what the Greeks were understanding, this idea of passion. Maybe it's this idea of you've listened to, to Beethoven, or maybe your favorite group, and there's something about the music in that moment, your season of life, where you're at, and it just moves you to tears. And it, it's moving to you. That's Eros. That's this idea of experiential kind of love. What's fascinating, what's interesting, is the Bible actually doesn't use Eros, the Greek word Eros, uh, hardly at all in the scriptures. Some scholars uh, debate and wonder if that's because it was so closely linked to pagan temple worship. Uh, and it was so much of the, the table uh, kind of the temple priest would try to create this emotional experience for people at those temples and they were kind of this idea of eros, this idea of, of something that moves you experientially and that the scripture writers kind of didn't take that well. In fact, the word mostly in Greek that's translated in love in the Bible is what we call agape love. Agape love is this unconditional kind of love. It's this word that's challenging to kind of even get your mind around a little bit, but what's funny is you don't really see it elsewhere in literature. There's only four times that scholars have found that the word agape is used outside of the scriptures, and each time it's actually pretty anemic. It's kind of this idea of just goodwill. But the Bible writers, the scripture writers, took this word agape and they kind of baptized it in a way. And they put major meaning to it. And the majority of the word that describes God's love for you, the kind of love that he wants to grow between one another and our love back to him is this primary word agape. And what made it different was that it wasn't an emotional word. It may have emotions flow from it, but it wasn't linked to be an emotional word. Agape love is really a mindset. It's an orientation. It's a decision of the will. It's action-oriented. Agape love determines, maybe we could define it this way, determines that it will seek the highest good for other people. It's not a love based primarily on our condition or our emotions, but really on a willful decision. This is why Jesus can say in the Sermon on the Mount, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That's challenging. In fact, uh, Immanuel Kant, an 18th century philosopher, read those words of Jesus and dismissed Christianity, saying that it's impossible to love like that. And he's right. If love is defined as a feeling, 
if you're defining love as a feeling, yes, it's impossible to just start a fire or to blow out a match of love to people. But if it's not tied to this emotion that's produced, if it's really a decision of your mindset, of your will, if agape love, a God-like kind of love is action-oriented and other-person-focused, then agape love can willfully choose to seek the highest good for other people. And that's the challenge that we have. That you might summarize spiritual maturity as not so much, again, how much you know, but how well you agape love, like the Bible begins to put out. Uh, I love Eugene Peterson writes these words. Love is our most mature act as a human being. It's the most mature act of the human, it's action-oriented. It's not just a feeling. It's this challenge that kind of goes out from us. And so if you have your Bibles, or if you're on version, go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this is where Paul's really laying out love, because here's what he does. He says, this is kind of what love is. Remember, he spends the whole chapter of chapter 12 describing, here's the spiritual gifts. In fact, I want you to, to want these, desire these, go after these, ask God for these. But then he says, I'm, I'm gonna show you the most excellent way. And, and if you have the gift of prophecy, prophecy and you can move mountains, but you don't have love, you're nothing. You're like this giant gong that makes this sound. Well, where's he getting that imagery from? Well, from the pagan temples around him. They would use these gongs to kind of be part of the ceremonies that they were in. And Paul was going, they're, they're annoying. And, and if you do these things, you have these spiritual gifts, but you're not a person of love, well, that's what you sound like. You're, you're missing the whole point. And he goes on, and he kind of begins to put a definition. He's not just saying, here's the defining of love. He kind of defines a loving. Here's what the actions of agape love begin to look like. It's, it's illustrating to things. It's kind of unpacking what it is. It'd be like me saying to you, um, <clears throat> music is the science of the art of tones. Yeah. Like if you'd never heard music before, and I was trying to describe music to you, and I just said it's the science of the art of tones. <laughs> Whatever. But if I were to play to you maybe an Irish tenor singing Amazing Grace, that's music. It's descriptive to that. If I were to say to you diamonds are native carbon in isometric crystal, and you never knew what a diamond was before, you'd be like, well, that sounds dumb. Until you see a diamond, ladies, right? And then you're like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. So there's something about descriptions that's important to this. Paul begins to define, here's what love is. Actually, here's what love does. Because it's a willful decision. It's a mindset. It's an orientation. This agape kind of love has feelings attached to it. But it's not dominated by only emotions and feelings. In fact, if you read... um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through kind of 8a, there are 16 phrases or words in here where he's describing love. Eight of them are the negative, meaning here's what love doesn't do. Eight of them are in the positive. Here's what agape love does. Here's what they do. Love, what it doesn't do, love doesn't envy. 
It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong, and it does not delight in evil. It doesn't do that. Agape love isn't that way. But agape love is this, and he says it's patient. It's kind. It rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Agape love never fails. So Paul's describing, and he's saying it's not just this. Let me describe it to you what it does, what it doesn't do. See, I can give you all the gifts in the world, Paul's saying. Jesus can give you all the spiritual gifts in the world, and yet if you don't love like this, you're just a gong. You're just missing out on the most important thing. Many spiritual gifts are good, but they are worthless if they're done without love, Paul's saying. The word love matters. And even in our culture where we struggle to kind of get our arms around it because we only have one word for it, all I have to do is tell you, when, as a parent, when your kid says, I love you, Daddy, there's, there's nothing like that, is it? It just moves your heart when your parents say it to you, when you say it to your significant other, there's something about the, those three words, I love you, that just moves you. It melts your heart. It changes who you are. So you could have all the wealth you want. You could have all the power and all the status, but if no one says and demonstrates to you that you're loved, none of those things make up for its absence. That's been the human condition from the get-go. That's why we long for it. That's why we need it. That's why we desire it. And listen, from a biblical perspective, here's what you need to grasp. That the creator of the heavens and the earth, from the beginning of time, communicated in the story of the scriptures, has been saying this to you. I love I love you, I love you, I love you. And your life will be forever transformed when you allow your heart and your mind to grasp that and to be gripped by it. See, God loves, we live in a world where we, we base so much of our love on conditions. I love you if. I love you when. I, I love you if you respond the way that I need you to respond. I love you if you do this and carry out the things I wish for you. I, I love you because you're related to me. Uh, we have so many different conditions that we inadvertently and sometimes intentionally put on our love for one another. And yet the creator of the heavens and the earth has been saying to you, from the very beginning and on into eternity. I love you. And I've come that you might know that and that you might be gripped by it and that you might be changed by it. I love you, agape. And if and when your heart ever catches a glimpse of that, it changes who you are because God loves because he is love. God cannot love you any more than he does right now 
and he's never gonna love you any less. And for some of you, you can't even get your mind around that because that's not like any love you've known. And that's why I think the scriptures and Jesus in particular want you to know that you are loved, friend. Not based on what you do and what you produce or who you know or what you can um, give, but simply because you're created and he loves you. The deepest desire of a human heart is for a love that will last. From the beginning of time until the end of time, the deepest desire of the human heart is for a love that will last. And God's agape love is an unchanging love in the midst of a changing world. It's the love you need. It's the love that will change you. I I wrote this as a bottom line. Be captivated and live loved by God. Let your life be captivated and live loved by God. And then be devoted to live loving like him. Love is what will change our world. But it's not a phileo kind of love. It's not an eros kind of love. People search for those. And they find them and they soon discover they have a shelf life to them. It's an agape love that's unconditional. It's a love that lasts, that isn't based on circumstances. And so how do we grow? Because if spiritual maturity is not so much how much I know, but how well I love, it's not about what you do, friends. Listen, with all of my heart, it really begins with you sensing and knowing deep within your knower that Jesus really does love you. So here's the challenge. I'm just gonna give you space to do it for right now and I invite you this week uh, to lean into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In fact, I'm gonna challenge you this week to read 1 Corinthians 13. Take 10 minutes of your life and just read it and and let it sink in and contemplate this. But here's what I would say. Uh, Take all the words in verses four through 8a and take out the word love and put the word Jesus in there. This is what it looks like. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He does not dishonor others. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but he rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects. He always trusts. He always hopes. He always perseveres. Jesus never fails. Friend, that's the Jesus for you. You can clap for that. That's Jesus' love for you. And until you let your heart be gripped by that, you will keep Jesus, you will keep that love at an arm's length. And that's a, that's a difficult place to be because you may be liked then, but that's all you know. And so I really want to invite you this week to say, okay, Jesus, I know that you love me intellectually. I know that. 
Intellectually, from reading the scriptures, it's obvious, I know we're gonna celebrate communion here in a minute, it's a demonstration of how much Jesus loves you, that he would go to the cross and die a death that you deserve to die, I deserve to die, but he took it, and he said, I've got this for you, I'll take this for you. I'll die in your place, so that you may have what I need you to know, that you're loved. The other crazy thing is if if you replace the word love with your own name, think about this. That's the kind of love Jesus wants to grow in your heart to be available to the people around you. You're not Jesus. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. But it's the kind of love, the action-oriented, the mindset, the decision of the will, the kind of love he wants to put on display in and through your life because it's the kind of love that Jesus has for you. So I'm gonna invite us. As we take communion here, the band's gonna come back up. You know, tonight there's uh, one or two that are gonna kind of demonstrate their love back to Jesus. That's what baptism is, really. It's just a a demonstration of saying, hey, I've asked Jesus to be the Lord and the leader of my life, and I want other people to know that I'm I'm going all in on him. And I may not even have everything figured out yet, but I've, I've kind of li- I'm living by faith in what Jesus did, that what we remember in communion, that it's just Jesus' gift of life. It's his body broken, his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. The old adage of how much does Jesus love you? Well, this much. And he stretched out his arms and he went to the cross on your behalf. That his love is this agape kind of love that's not based on conditions, not based on your reactions or your actions. It just says, I love you. And when you're gripped by that, it changes you. And as you're gripped by that, it begins to change how you now love and how you begin to love the people around you. And who was it? Jesus said, people will know you're my followers by not how much you know, but by the way you love one another. So it's this invitation we have. And so, God, that's what I pray for tonight as we lean into communion here in a moment, as we worship you in song, as we celebrate baptism here in just a few moments at the conclusion of tonight. Father, this series has all been about our emotions and about understanding them in a healthy way, about uh, maturing in them so that we can uh, mature spiritually as well as we follow after you. Father, it's one thing to know and to hear sermons about how much Jesus loves us, and it can become just a sentence. But God, the depth of that is like an ocean. And so I pray for all of us this week, as we contemplate, as we reflect on what the Apostle Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians 13, a description of love that isn't based on feeling. It's based on a willful decision, and Jesus, you put this on display, and you say this to each person in this room. This is the way I love you. We're so grateful, Jesus. May that never grow old. May we be continually overwhelmed and moved by how well you love. There isn't anything we do to deserve it. 
There isn't anything we could do to lose it. There isn't anything we could do to try to keep a, holder, a tighter grip on it, to hold on to it. It's just given. And we are so grateful. And so as we take a moment to remember in communion, we pray that you would deepen the roots of that kind of love in our own experience, that we'd see that you are a God who loves like that. You love us like that. And then would you transform our hearts and our mindsets to reflect that to the people around us, the closest ones, our family, our friends, and all those that you bring across our path. May we be a people known for our love because we love like you. We ask that in Jesus' name.